Today on Women of Impact, Dr. Aviva Rom sheds light on the myths we women are told about our hormones. This idea that being normal means suffering, miserable, or even hormonal, like out of control, it's just totally not true. A hormone expert, MD, midwife, herbalist, and now author of her new book, Hormone Intelligence, she reveals shocking Whoa, realities. We know it takes women nine years on average, multiple different doctors, to get a diagnosis. As well as shares the secrets to when the best time is in our cycle to ask for that promotion and the worst time to go shopping, when we have the most energy to start that new fitness plan and the superpower of all superpowers when you'll have the most confidence. Wow, I didn't know that. But if you need that extra little like boost of confidence to feel good when you look in the mirror to go and do that you know, new thing you wanna do, it's a great time. So how do we align with our hormones in order to go after the things we want in life? Well, grab your notepad because you're not going wow. to believe the answers. And that's the biggest thing is that I didn't, I didn't know. Welcome to today's Women of Impact with the incredible Dr. Aviva Rom. Welcome to the show, Dr. Aviva Rom. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Oh my God, I am so excited. And where I want to start is really the thing that I talk about a lot on my show and the thing that a lot of the women come to Women of Impact for is really when we don't feel good about ourselves, we have the negative voice that holds us back, we don't think we're good enough, we have um, insecurities that really do hold us back from living the life that we want. And to not talk about our hormones would be an utter disservice to the audience and able for them to really take power over their lives and have the life that they want. So I'm very excited to have you here. And the one thing that I want to start talking about is you talk a lot about um, us women as we deal with, you know, acne, weight gain, depression, sleep problems, anxiety. There's all these different issues that we deal as adults. And it really does stem from our hormones. And I want to talk about actually something that you said that hit me so hard and this seems to be the absolute right place to start is you said now girls are starting to get their periods at the age of seven yeah so what we know is um girls are going into puberty earlier than ever and just to give you an example the kotex company that produces all those feminine products actually a bunch of years ago started creating a line of kotex pads for girls as young as seven and eight years old with hearts and stars and unicorns and rainbows to normalize getting their periods earlier what we're seeing though is most girls are starting with breast development earlier and then periods maybe like one or two years later so we're seeing breast development six seven years old now and it's all environmental hormonal impact that's what's so scary it's also preventable which is the good news but yeah it's crazy to think about isn't it yeah it's so crazy and the reason why i really wanted to start there is to really understand where our hormones as women really first 
kick into gear if you will um obviously there's nothing that we can do about you know the when we started our own periods and when our own hormones kicked in but i think by understanding why now things are changing and why we're seeing such a big increase in depression and all these other health issues and being able to look and see where does it actually stem from because once we understand where it stems from and why then i would love for us to really dive deep girl into how we as adults now either reverse it identify our problems and then use it as a superpower if you will to pick ourselves back up and really give us the strength that we need um, to achieve anything in life i love that you know and to what you were saying about who your audience is and you know women really wanting to take like this high level power over their lives one thing a lot of people don't know i mean if you're experiencing it you know it but kind of more globally is that period pain endometriosis, all these hormonal imbalances are actually costing women money and career advancement. So we're held back by something that we actually have control over, but you know, you miss those days of work two or three days a month because your period has you know, got you doubled over in pain or whatever it is that's going on. It could even be acne. Someone with severe acne, they like, they don't go to a job interview, they don't go to graduate school interview because they're so embarrassed. So this is very serious in terms of like really taking our power. And that's what I know your, you know, your community really wants. So where does it start? Well, naturally, if we were kind of going along with our biological blueprint that's been guiding women from the beginning of time, we would start our menstrual cycles around 12 to 16 years old. But this has been creeping back over the last couple of decades to where girls are now often starting their cycles at nine, 10 years old on average, and then the outliers even earlier. And breast development starts a couple of years before that. But where does it really start? You know, we're already forming our ovaries and our eggs and our hormonal foundations when we're still in our mom's bellies. So we really wanna think, as if we're thinking as upstream as possible, we wanna think about what are pregnant moms being exposed to, environmental chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, and foods, things that we're putting on our bodies in terms of our cosmetics, and um, a whole host of exposures that we do know actually pass on to the baby. So I don't want anybody feeling guilty or stressed out or worried, but at the same time, there are things that we can start to do, which I know we're gonna talk about. And then another area that a lot of people don't know about, you, know, you hear about the microbiome, but what is that and what, you know, what does it matter? But the microbiome also has a huge influence on how our hormones shake out for any one of us. And at least in the US, women by the time we're 18 years old have had on average, get this, 20 rounds of antibiotics. Not 20 days, not 20 doses, but 20 like, three to 10 days of antibiotics. And then we get more antibiotics, of course, you know, in our 20s for the UTIs and all of that. So that can affect the microbiome, that can then affect your hormones. So I really say all this not to overwhelm people with information, but if there's any takeaway that I want women to have from a conversation like this is that if your hormones are wonky, if things are going on, it's not your fault. It's not mm -hmm. something you're doing wrong. Yes, there are things you can do about it, but you're not broken, you're not messed up. There are just these factors that happened before we even had a say-so that may have set us down you know, one track instead of another track and the track that we got set 
set down might be period pain or endometriosis or polycystic ovary syndrome or acne or fertility challenges, but it's not your fault. I'm so glad you said that because um, I think we do, as women in general, right? We put things on our own plate and on our own shoulders. And that is such an important part too. And I love that we started there because it is such an important part for this discussion so that people don't blame themselves because I think then the blame gets in the way of finding the solution. And I know that um, you have spoken very eloquently and I'd love to talk more about how instead of comparing ourselves to other people to establish what our norm is, is and then recognizing the deviation from that norm Mm -hmm. so that we can then adjust accordingly yeah so you know one of the i love the wellness space and women's wellness and i also want to say that one of the challenges that we see is like if you just have the perfect period if you have your menstrual cycle you know if your period comes every 28 days if you never have a cramp if you never have a bad mood that's like somehow this illusion and it's not quite that simple but there is a range of normal so that we know like if you have your period basically every 26 to 32 days that's normal it doesn't have to be 28 days the average period around the world is not 28 days if you have a cramp now and then, it doesn't mean like you're full of inflammation, your, your diet's a mess, that's normal too. What we shouldn't be experiencing is periods that are just all over irregular. They're shorter than 26 days, they're longer than 32 days. Every month there's like a complete variation. So if month to month, maybe it's like four days different, that's fine. But if one month it's 24 days, one month it's 37 days, one month it's 42 days, that's not normal. Your period may cause you a little bit of, you know, sensation of fullness in your pelvis. You may feel a little, little achy, like, but it shouldn't make you doubled over in pain. It shouldn't make you have to take ibuprofen every month, quite frankly. And how much bleeding is normal? Well, you shouldn't be blowing through pads and tampons every period. Like up to six changes a day is considered normal. But more than that, well, that's a heavy period. So we know that there's this blueprint that has guided women from time immemorial, and we know what normal is in terms of like normal, healthy. But we've been convinced that what's common is normal. So it's very common mm-hmm. for women to have horribly painful periods. It's very common for women to have really irregular cycles or all the struggles. But we're told, oh, that's normal because you're a woman. That's normal because you have a uterus. But it's actually not. Like this idea that being normal means suffering, miserable, or even hormonal, like out of control, Hmm. it's just totally not true. Yeah, um, and I am so glad you said that because many people, I think many doctors and many people have experienced that when they go to a gynecologist or a doctor, that it becomes very, you know, oh, I've got pain. It's like, oh, that's normal. And so we we don't exactly. even say, should I be changing this? Is there something I can do? And then make connections with why am I depressed? Why am I not feeling good about myself? And that's where I really would love to lead. So like making, why is it important, in fact, that we normalize our periods in order to, have emotional stability? Well, first of all, you know, if we're struggling with something, that's hard enough. And then if we're struggling with something and we think it's our fault, there's something wrong with us, or we're just too embarrassed to talk about heavy bleeding or vaginal odor or irregular periods or pain or whatever it is, you know, we're putting ourselves at risk because sometimes these things are actually indications that there is something else going on. And the longer you put off taking care of that something else, the more risk you have with that. So let's just look at endometriosis, right? Period pain 
it can be a sign of endometriosis. We know it takes women nine years on average, multiple different doctors to get a diagnosis. Whoa! The problem Hang on a minute, sorry. Is, is that nine insane? years? Yeah, I know, like, yes, yes, 9.3 years on average, and as oh. many as five or seven doctors. And so you go to one doctor and you're like, my period is killing me, you know, having sex is painful, I'm constipated, I'm miserable. And they're like, well, that's normal. Take some ibuprofen or we'll put you on the pill. Then you go to the next doctor. They're telling you the same thing. You go to the next doctor. And the other thing is the more doctors you go to, the more each doctor is likely to think it's in your head. So now you're not just getting recommended the pill and the ibuprofen, but you're told to take the Prozac or whatever it is. And not that those things are wrong. Like if you need those things, that's totally fine. But we're not looking under the hood. But here's the thing. All these different conditions have implications, right? So with endometriosis, it's actually causing scarring in the pelvis and the abdomen. And so it can cause your bladder to get adhered to your intestines, to your uterus. It can make it really hard to have a bowel movement. It can make it really difficult to urinate. It can make it really painful to have sex. It can affect your fertility. So we're doing ourselves a disservice by not pushing for information that um, we deserve to have. And that's why there's this concept now that actually got first circulated around 2007 by a medical organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics. And then in 2013, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists repeated what they said, which is that women's menstrual cycles are our sixth vital sign. So we have our blood pressure, our pulse, our temperature, our our respiratory rate, pain is considered the fifth one, and women's menstrual cycles are the sixth, meaning that they're telling us something. They're giving us information. Just like you would take your temperature if you didn't feel well, (laughs) we need to know what's going on with our menstrual cycles. But here's the thing, even though two major medical organizations, like two of the biggest ones in the US said that, do doctors know it? No, (laughs) like nobody's being taught that. So then it becomes really important for women to understand this information for ourselves. I call it me search, like doing our own me search, getting in touch with what's happening with your cycle, how do you feel? And it can be really cool because there are some crazy things. Like we know that we are more likely to go on a shopping binge when we are premenstrual than when we're in the middle of our cycle. So maybe, you know, like people say, don't order food or don't go shopping on an empty stomach. Like <laughs> don't, go, don't go crazy with your credit card right before your period. We also know that when we're ovulating, when we're fertile, we're more likely to go home with the good looking guy who's got a little bit of the bad boy vibe, or maybe the good looking woman who's got a little bit of the bad boy vibe, bad girl vibe. (laughs) Um, But we're not necessarily making the best assessment. We're kind of thinking with our ovaries and our fertility. So learning some of these things is actually really fun. Oh my God, like seriously, I'm like, please keep telling me more because that's the thing is that I I am just, if I had to have my favorite quote ever tattooed, it would be with no judgment because everything that you're talking about, if, if you feel like you're drawn towards the bad boy or the bad girl, a couple of days before you're ovulating or whatever, like, okay, no judgment. Now at least I know so that I can prepare for certain things that may come my way. Um, what other yeah, ones- exactly. So what other yeah, ones can you actually know, like, give us? Yeah, so for example, we know that when we're entering that time of our cycle, when we're fertile, so when we're around ovulation, our energy is actually more pumped up. 
So we're more likely to stick with an exercise program that we start and our pain threshold is lower. We actually need to eat a little bit less for the most part and we were more inclined to eat lighter food right after our period all the way through ovulation. So if you do wanna do that little mini detox or you do wanna start that new eating plan and that new exercise program, you're more likely to get going on it and be successful with it. Same with a new business plan or applying for that job. You're more likely to feel confident. And it's really interesting because there are physical changes and emotional changes that happen that support that. We also, this is very weird, but as part of that whole um, biological like push for nature to want us to reproduce, we actually look more physically attractive to others, but also to ourselves around ovulation. So if you're feeling lack of confidence about anything, which I hope you, you know, like you won't no matter what part of your cycle you're in, but if you need that extra little like boost of confidence to feel good when you look in the mirror to go and do that, you know, new thing you want to do, go out on that date, go out on, you know, to that club or go do that job interview. It's a great time. Also premenstrually, our pain threshold goes up and our exercise tolerance goes down. So it's a time to think about maybe doing some yoga or Pilates or a gentle dance class rather than like hitting up the CrossFit, especially if you've never done it before. Um, we do tend to want to eat a little more carbs and sugar, and there's a reason for that right before our period. It helps our brains produce something called serotonin, which makes us less depressed. But if you're restricting your carbs, you might feel more PMSE before your period. Or if you're not aware that it's natural to want to eat more carbs and mm. sugar, you're more likely to go for the donuts or the muffin rather than being prepared for it and be like, oh, I'm gonna make a really phenomenal rice pudding or chia pudding or something that's still really chocolate, like dark chocolate is great. You know, it's great for your mood, it's great for your energy. It actually has magnesium, which helps your periods be a little more comfortable. So being prepared for that craving with the good food, you know, or the good treats, the healthier ones, is is great. So there are all these little hacks that we can do to be more kind of in tune with our cycle and also more, I want to say in control, because I don't really feel like controlling is the best, but more aligned with what our bodies are trying to do. And the way to get there is to start paying attention, like just start noticing what's going on and even like keep a little like period calendar or like a menstrual cycle calendar throughout the month. That's literally what yeah. I was going to say is like, it, it would mm -hmm. be so powerful to keep a list of all the things you want to do in life, your achievements. I want to ask, you know, I want to run a marathon. I want to do this. I want to ask yeah. for that promotion. I want to take that challenge and then put it in your calendar based on when you're um, hormonally best to do so. Totally. And it's not like you can, it's not like we're not as capable at any time in our cycle. In fact, studies have so shown, like you can take a math, you know, math PhD final whatever exam and, and do just as well right before your period. So right. I don't want to like, imply that we're not, we can run that, you know, we saw Kieran Gandhi run that marathon in her knickers with her like no pad on, right? Free bleeding. You can do it anytime, but you can, act, it's like going sailing. If you're going to go on a sailboat, you're going to get better sailing when the wind is with you, right? And it's like yeah. being in that kind of natural flow of our cycle and playing to 
like playing to our personal best. It's, it's just kind of some cool, fun stuff. Um, you know, and also just like I was saying, it's, it's good stuff to pay attention to so that we're not just pushed into our impulses. Like, hmm, I feel like going on a shopping spree at Net-A-Porter today. Oh, wait, I'm two days before my period. Let me just wait on that impulse and see if I really want that in one mm. week. Or, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I'm really attracted to this person and I really do kind of want to go home with them, but mm, let me check in. Okay, ovulating here. Am I actually really attracted to them or is this just like my hormones talking yeah oh my god i love that so much because like you said it's it's not that you can't but if you can hedge your bets it's like why not do so and that's what i'm always about it's like what tools and tricks can i use in certain situations to give me extra confidence right it's like there are going to be certain things i don't have the confidence in but if i can plan it to be around that in just thinking about oh if you do it next tuesday lisa you're actually going to be more confident so now what am i doing i'm actually telling myself lisa next tuesday you're going to be more confident so it becomes the real effect plus the placebo effect almost coming together to give you the outcome that you're looking for and we all kind of know it right like i mean how many of us really feel like going out to a club or a social gathering right before our period. I mean, we're more likely to want to put on our comfy clothes and watch a movie on Netflix. But if you start to pay attention to the middle of your cycle, you might go, huh, wow, I'm just suddenly feeling like getting out. And really, when we start to pay attention to these subtle cues, they really start to align. And here's the thing, if you're not getting those, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you either. Mm. But it can mean that your hormones aren't kind of dialing in at the level that we might hope they would be. And so those little signs, it doesn't have to just be pain or acne or PMS. It can actually be these more subtle things. Hmm, I'm actually not noticing that I'm having that little bump in my sex drive mid-cycle or yeah, I'm not having these shifts and changes and that can be important too. Mm, yeah, 100%. Um, and I actually want to go back to something you said about chocolate. So um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and I've heard you say this before, but it's like, look, a little bit of dark chocolate can actually be great. But here's the thing. I'm sure people yeah. hear that and they're like, oh my God, well, Dr. Aviva said I can go get a Snickers bar. And before you know it, they're eating Snickers, they're eating ice cream. And as a result, I think it becomes even worse right because if if you have too much sugar that absolutely can affect your hormones and brain fog and your energy so so i do think there is that fine line of hearing what you're saying and then people taking it um, to a different level and the reason i wanted to bring this up is the one thing that i'd heard so often growing up and it never felt right until i started really digging into the health space but a lot of the women that i knew growing up as soon as they would get pregnant, the first thing they would say is, this means I can eat whatever I like. And I used to be like, is that like, really? Like, is it the, is it the fat and the calories? Like, is it the calories? Or really, isn't it the quality of food? And the, the, I think that that's really important to pinpoint here on what you're saying is there's certain things, but it is the yeah. quality of it. Can you talk to me a little bit totally. about that? So, um, you know, there are some phenomenal studies about the benefits of dark chocolate, but it is really important to keep it to a couple of ounces a day. And we know that that can help reduce depression. It can help your weight stay healthier, actually, because you have that to look forward to. So if you have the dark chocolate instead of the, you know, the Snickers bar or the croissant or the muffin or the ice cream bowl, whatever it is, then that's a few ounces that you can look forward to. 
We know it helps with blood pressure, cognitive functions. There are a lot of really important benefits, but that's what I always tell my patients. Look, if you're somebody who can't have just one and stop, whatever it is, don't do it. Hmm. I personally, like, I don't love 92% dark chocolate. It's so dark. I'm just like, oh, I don't like, it's not enjoyable to me. So I usually say 72% or above, but you're right. It does have a little bit of sugar. So um, keeping, you know, keeping it reined in, keeping it to like a few ounces, not going crazy on it. And if you enjoy that, that, you know, I think that's wonderful because we know that when we restrict too much, we actually tend to rebound in the other direction and, and overdo it. But there are people who just can't have one, right? Like they, they, if that one just triggers that craving and they like all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, that was good, but I'm going to eat the whole bar and I'm going to get another one. If that's you, just kind of stay away from it. As far as eating for two, that is a complete myth. And you know, what we eat when we're pregnant is actually really important because we can set the tone for our child's health lifelong. You don't have to be like, you know, a monk about your diet, but keeping it to a really healthful, plenty of fish, or if you're vegan, you know, get, making sure that you're getting good quality protein, lots of fruits and vegetables, and keeping sugar pretty much out of the diet is is absolutely optimal. It causes all kinds of inflammation. It can lead to gestational diabetes, other problems. Um, but if you do have to have sugar, have have something healthful, like have something that's made with dates. There are wonderful mm. recipes you can do with dates. Keep it to maple syrup or honey or natural sugar, and you know keep it to a minimum amount. And just if you're going to do anything, stay away from processed food, bad quality oils, and um, soft drinks like sodas of any kind are probably one of the worst. I love all the tips. You're so tactical, which is so useful because there's so many things that people feel, right? I don't feel good because of my period. I feel bloated, but a lot of us almost feel powerless. And in case some people don't know who is watching this, I actually haven't had a period in over 10 years. I have had massive gut issues. So that's actually why I wanted to also talk about oh, food wow. yeah. on um, the amount of doctors that told me my gut, my period weren't related. I was like, that doesn't seem to feel right to me. Like, isn't everything connected? And they're like, no, 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 you're fine. Then eventually I went to a gynecologist. I started to take control, like ownership over what was happening to my body. I was stopped listening to doctors. It turned out I'd overdosed, overdosed, quote unquote, um, on antibiotics for just too many years and my whole gut lining yeah. was destroyed. Um, but it had such an impact on how I felt, how I felt as a woman, how unsexy I felt, how depressed I was, you know, really slipping into um, my self-esteem, like all of this. So talk to mm. me about the connection between the mind and the gut and food um, now that we're talking about chocolate and things like that, because I don't think people pay <laughs> yeah. enough attention to it and actually take it seriously. Well, yeah, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I think a lot of people who especially are seen as health or wellness celebrities um, it can be very easy for people who are watching to think, oh, well, she must have it all figured out and must, you know, must be in perfect health. And so I think as people share their stories, it, that's part of what normalizes it. You know, as you said before, how do we normalize it? And it's just it's talking about it and being honest about it. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, 
it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal. Like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about? That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. There is a huge connection between gut and hormones, first of all, and a huge connection between gut and mind and mind and hormones. So think of it as like a triangle and just, Mm -hmm. you know, going around and around. Um, So first of all, we know that at least half of all women who have period problems, half of all women who have endometriosis have either irritable bowel syndrome that's been diagnosed or have symptoms of it, bloating, loose poops, constipation, um, you know, gas, all that stuff that just makes your gut feel miserable. And most women notice that that is worse before their period. If, you know, a lot of women just get like really constipated or really get loose poops before their period, or they get a lot of gas and bloating. Some of that bloating is water retention due to hormones, but some of it's what's going on in the gut. So our microbiome especially is very involved in how we process and eliminate our hormones. Mm. And so if your microbiome is disrupted, it can really have an impact on your hormones, especially your estrogen. We have this whole branch of our microbiome literally just dedicated its job, its genetic job is just to process estrogen. So just so you know, 
That's how significant the connection wow, is. Wow, I didn't know Wait, that. Yeah, yeah, it's called the astrobolome, and that's all it's supposed to do. So we also know, I mean, everyone has experienced some kind of like butterflies in their stomach, or you know, you have to go take your final exam and you run to the bathroom five times. So we know there's a huge connection between stress and our gut. And so some of the changes that happen with stress, we mentioned antibiotics, but also diet. So our ancestors in like Paleolithic times, so paleo people, they got 100 grams of fiber every day from their diet, from just from plants that they were eating, vegetables, berries, etc. The um, guidelines on how much fiber we need just to prevent colon cancer is 30 grams a day. The average American is getting 15 grams a day, 15. So like, you know, an eighth of what our ancestors got and half of what we need even to prevent colon cancer. And my guess is that if you looked at the UK, most of Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, we'd see the same, a lot of South America, we'd see the same kind of data. We're just not getting the kind of fiber we need. That has a huge impact on our hormones too. So it kind of goes around and around. But we also know that there's a huge gut impact. So significant that two major studies showed that when women with anxiety were given a probiotic containing food twice a day, their anxiety resolved in six to eight weeks. So it's really, um, yeah, you can do a huge amount. and even if you're, even if you know trauma or social circumstances are causing you stress and anxiety, it's like you were saying before. What can we do to at least, you know, hedge our bets and say, okay, even if a small amount of this is contributed to by my microbiome, let me take care of that also while I'm also helping myself with these other aspects of my life. So I'm huge on making sure that our gut is healthy, um, you know, eating fiber, lots of fruits and vegetables, all the things we talked about, like sugar feeds the microbiome, um, processed food, I mean, it feeds an unhealthy microbiome, processed food feeds an unhealthy microbiome. And we know that you can turn your microbiome around in just a couple of weeks of increasing your fruits and vegetables, increasing your healthy fats, getting enough fiber. It's not rocket science. It's just... It sounds complicated because we've never been taught this stuff. And it can really help your mood. And we know, like, I'm sure you've experienced too, like when you eat a healthier diet, when you're getting good protein in your diet every day, when you're getting plenty of fruits and vegetables, we feel better. Like our mood is better. Our energy is better. We're not as tired. We don't feel, you know, inflamed and irritable. So, you know, it's a win-win all across the board. Yeah, that's so... I love that you said all that because... When I went through my massive gut issue, and I'm still struggling, it's been like five, Mm. six years now, um, Mm. massive improvement. I went almost a year where I could barely eat. My hair was falling out. My nails were brittle. It was really bad. I had SIBO, um, leaky gut, parasite. I mean, and all Mm. of this was discovered because I stepped in. The doctors were just trying to give me a pill. It literally was, oh, you've got SIBO, take an antibiotic. And Mm -hmm. it was like, and I didn't know any better. And that's the thing. So like... Everything you're saying is just educating us so that we know better, so that when we do things, we just do it with our eyes open. And that one, the very first year where I had the gut issues, I've never been so depressed. I'm not a crier, doctor. I'm I'm really not, but I would just burst into tears. And I was extremely, people think of me as very confident. I was 
I, I had crippling anxiety from having zero confidence. Yeah. And so to yeah. not say that it wasn't the gut, to you know, ignore the hormones is, was a disservice to me. And so once I started to realize, okay, what can I do to adjust my hormones, adjust the way that I'm, um, mm-hmm. the, what I'm eating, how much I'm sleeping, all of these things started to help me rebuild my gut so that I could then um, eat all the foods and stuff that you're saying and then start feeling better about it. Um, but we're not and told- it's a process. Like you said, right? It's like you said you've been doing this for five years and I think that's that's another thing that's really important, and, I'm, and I really appreciate you acknowledging that, is that sometimes women will hear about a detox, or he- they'll hear about a cleanse, or they'll hear about the latest diet. And you know, when we write books, our publishers, they want us to pick out the best case and say, you can do this. At some point, um, I think it was in like the 90s or early 2000s, it became this thing, like the seven-day diet, the 14-day mm. diet. And in publishing, everything became that, you know, the seven day gut fix, the two weeks to fix your hormones, but it's a process. And I want, you know, like we're, you know, we're talking about feeling confident and feeling successful. It's so important to know that because if you buy a book and it says you can fix this in two weeks and two weeks later, you're still feeling crappy and you're doing all the right things that it says, then there can be a sense of like you're failing. Or even sometimes you can be made to feel that way by certain practitioners. Like, well, you're just not doing the diet enough. You're not, you know, you're not meditating enough. But it it actually is a process that can take a really long time. It can take years. And the thing that is important is that to remember along the way is like all the changes that you're making are so, so important for your long-term health. Mm -hmm. Not just feeling better now, but the later on stuff, the stuff when we're in our 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, our cognitive health, our brain health, our bone health. And so it may not be an overnight fix, but having faith in the process is actually really important when you do get onto that healthful plan. It can make such a difference over time. Yes, I'm so glad that you said that about like the seven day quick fix and things because I definitely thought, I was like, ah, my gut's in disarray. I can't really eat much. I'll be fine in a couple of weeks. It's a stomach bug. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks went by, right? Then you go to a doctor. The doctor's like, I'll oh, take this pill. So then I kept thinking 100%, right? It's me. What am I doing wrong? And when, you're, when your hormones are already in disarray, you don't feel good about yourself from the get-go. So now I'm actually just feeding the negative story that I'm telling myself about how bad I am. But once I just flipped it, literally, it was like I'd went to so many doctors. I thought, oh, all the best doctors in Beverly Hills are gonna you know, fix me. And so I stopped saying, what's the quick fix? And I just said, it's a lifestyle change. And the second I said, it's a lifestyle change, I started to break down one thing at a time and say, okay, how can I help here? How can I help my sleep better? And I started to notice over time that I started to get my confidence back. I started to feel better about myself. I started to feel more like a sexual woman again. And that really hurts. I, you know, I've been married for 19 years. And so it was very important. Sex to me is very important. Connection with my husband is very important, but I didn't feel like it. Like that was the last thing I wanted. And so once you start building that back, it has such a knock-on effect. Now, I really want to do take us into the um, sexual desire and how we can um, use our hormones to our advantage and what we can do um, to, you know, raise our libido and things like that. Yeah. So back to what we were talking about earlier about understanding our cycles. That's a great place to start. So many of us have different like 
uh, libido is so different for every woman and like what our expectations are, what we want our sexual relationship to be. So I want to honor like different people want different things. But if you want that juicy sexual relationship, one thing is to start to pay attention to, well, when is my libido stimulated? When do I feel like doing it? Do I feel like being close, intimate? When do I feel most sexual? And when do I feel most sexy? Because that's a lot of it, right? Like if you're not feeling sexy, you're not going to be feeling sexual. So start to pay attention to what turns you on, when, what time of the month. Is it um, that you are around ovulation? Is it maybe you're closer to your period? For some women, that like increased pelvic pressure makes them feel much more horny and like just like wanting to have that pelvic release, right? It's a physical sensation. Um, is it, especially if you've been in a longer term relationship, is it when your partner reaches out to you and gets things going, then you're responsive Whereas if you had to get things going, maybe not so much. And that's really common for women, particularly when you have kids, you know, you're giving all day long, you've got your career, you're giving all day long. At the end of the day, you're like, really, do I really want to get that going now? But you want to be sexual. And so talking to your partner, if you're in a relationship where you can, you know, have that conversation, hopefully if you're in a relationship, you can have that conversation, say, look, I really want to be in this very fluid sexual relationship with you, but a lot of times I'm, these days I'm just not feeling like getting things going. But if you get things going and then you're, you start to pay attention, well, which things? Like for some women, it is essential back rubs. For some women, it's like your partner taking out the trash because you don't have to think about it now and doing the dinner dishes. And you're like, ooh, like that. Um, for some women, it's getting a gift. It may be like just somebody brings you home some chocolates or flowers or whatnot. So if you're finding that you're able to respond, and what does response mean? You're feeling turned on and your body is responding. Maybe you feel some sensation in your breast that's activated. Maybe you have more lubrication. That's all telling you that your body is responsive. Also, you know, most challenges with libido don't actually have to do with hormones. They do have to do with relationship and life circumstances. So if you have little kids and you're exhausted, getting a babysitter and getting out and getting a hotel room for the night, whatever you need to do to like break it up and change it up can really make a difference because you know, the kids go to bed and then you're starting to get going and then mom, I need some water. You know, it's like, it's a buzzkill. So thinking about what is getting in the way. We know that for people in their 20s right now, the use of electronic devices in the bedroom is one of the biggest buzzkills for sex. In fact, 20 year olds, people in their 20s are having less sex than any of the last few generations. Whoa, Every study really? Yep, yep, because I'm gonna just go and flip through my Instagram or like text this person. Mm. So it's really getting in the way of people having that intimacy. But if you're not having any response physiologically, like you're, mm. not, you're just not getting turned on, if things feel pretty flatlined for you and you're noticing it and it's bothering you, then it could be your hormones. So it can be low estrogen, low testosterone, low progesterone. It can be um, anxiety or depression that's getting in the way. It can also be, you know, in that case then, doing things like supporting ovulation if you're not ovulating, making sure that you're getting really good healthy fats in your diet, avocado, mm -hmm. fish, fish oil, um, olive oil, these are all great healthy fats that support building your hormones. Making sure that you're addressing stress because the cortisol, the hormone cortisol can block your sex drive. 
make sure your thyroid function is normal. You can actually ask your primary provider, your doctor, your nurse midwife, your nurse practitioner to run a thyroid panel because mm. low thyroid function is an absolute like will absolutely block your libido and it's really common. So there are things that you can do to just check in. I love this class of herbs called adaptogens. A lot of people have heard of them now. Ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil. And the reason I love those when sex drive is low is because they help to balance your stress hormones. They help to reduce anxiety. Mm. They help to support your sex hormones. And they have a little bit of they're not like sexual stimulators, but in doing all of that, they can help really support libido as well. So you can take those every day. And it's not like the more you take, the more libido. That's what I was over, asking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are herbs and supplements that can help with libido, but I don't really feel like that's usually the safest way to go. They're, they tend to be more right. stimulating and not really getting to the root cause of what's going on. And a lot of what's going on is, you know, either we're at a moment in our life, we've got little kids or we're going through menopause and we're just not feeling it. Um, but it's a lot of times it's we're we're tired and we're overwhelmed or we're just not getting the juice back. You know, we're not like having the person who's really taking the time to make it romantic. And all for women, it's really different than for men. Like for men, it's very physical. I mean, they can get erections all day long by just thinking about sex or seeing something that turns them on. For women, we know it's about relationship. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't you know, see someone who's hot and feel really drawn to them and feel really aroused, but in general, for an ongoing, healthy sexual relationship and good libido, it really is about that connection that we tend to want to get things going. And yeah, chocolate. And then, <laughs> go ahead, chocolate. chocolate. <laughs> Spicy foods, scary movies, it's weird. There are some things that get your like adrenaline going. So if you're really looking for a hot date. Really? Isn't that funny? So yeah. if you're looking for a hot like, date, you should watch a horror movie while and drinking eat chili chocolate. Eat chili chocolate <laughs> while drinking ashkanda tea. Totally. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, um, you know what you were saying that reminded me of something um, before. Because we've talked a lot about self-esteem and you know, body image plays such a huge role in um, sexual stimulation and sexual arousal because you can feel really attracted to someone, but if you're feeling really bad about your own body or your own self, you can almost kind of squash your own libido. Like, yeah, I really want to, but they're not gonna like, and it can be about, like, mm. it can be about your husband that you've been with for 20 years or your wife that you've been with for 20 years, you know? You're at a different phase in life. Maybe you've had a few children. Maybe you're in perimenopause. Maybe your boobs aren't like, you know, as high up on your chest as they used to be. Or maybe you've put on some pounds or you're just feeling unconfident. And that has such a huge, huge role. And I just, I want us to be able to embrace ourselves however we are and know how beautiful and sexy we are when we feel that way. And I think part of, you know, hearkening back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of like, not having the conversation about things that are embarrassing about our periods, we, we are not taught to explore ourselves and our own sexual pleasure. And we're definitely not taught to talk about what we like with our partners. So sometimes things just get stale or maybe your body has gone through changes and things that you used to like, you don't love as, as much anymore. Maybe, you know, when you were 18 and 20, anything would get you turned on, but now you're like 40 and it's just not the same. You're in a different place in your life. 
But being able to explore what we love, find our own pleasure, mm. and then be able to communicate that to a partner or partners, however you roll, um, that can be a game changer for your sexuality. And one thing that's been really interesting with COVID is that um, the sexual pleasure and sexual toy market has exploded because so many people <laughs> are home alone. Um, but it's something that <laughs> so if you're having trouble finding pleasure with someone else, but you can find it with yourself, that's really important because one, that may say something about what's going on in your relationship. And it may not mean that relationship is doomed. It may mean that you need to have a conversation of like what does and doesn't please you. Um, and it may be that your partner just doesn't know and they're not, mm. they're not educated. So when you find what you love, you can show them and then they can be more attentive to your needs. I love that. Um, I would be very remiss if I didn't bring up the subject of birth control because I think, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about what is there, 7.5 billion people in the world and, you know, if you consider half those people have periods um, and then how many of those people put on birth control is just absolutely insane and the things we're not told or the things we're told about the contraception or the pill is and then we find out 20 years later that actually we're wrong now of course there's no blame it's just it is what it is but you actually did a post recently that i was fascinated by with the things that we wish we knew about birth control before we started yeah. talk, taking it so can you break down a couple of those for me um so that we can yeah, really sure. understand what we're doing because i was told i literally was told Told, oh this will help regulate you this will help this will you know and then over time I found out that it was creating a lot of um, estrogen in my gut which was part of my one of my gut issues and I was like what do yep. you mean the pill has to do with my gut and like yeah. in hindsight I wish I'd known so if you can break down a couple of those that would be awesome yeah one of the things I hear more often than any other statement is I wish I knew that when so I've started this campaign asking women different questions like what I wish I knew about my first period what I wish I knew about this what I wish I knew about that what I wish I knew about birth control was one recently and it was astonishing how many women responded with I wish I knew that it could cause blood clots before I had a blood clot I wish I knew it could cause severe depression before I ended up with years of serious depression and one medication after another. I wish I knew it could cause me weight gain. I wish I knew on and on and on, the list went on. And the reality is, you know, as I said earlier, I'm not opposed to people using birth control if that's what they want to use for contraception or if that's what they need to have a more healthful, you know, comfortable experience of being in their body. But what I am opposed to is women not being told about the very real risks. And the risks of depression are real and they're significant. The risks of blood clots, it's rare, but it's not um, so rare that women shouldn't know about it. And here's the thing, 60% of all women on birth control are not on it for birth control. We're on it, as you said, you know, to regulate our hormones, for pain, for things that may be helped by it, but that there are other things along the way that we can try before we start the birth control that can be effective. And how many women get put on it when they're like 15 and don't even think of coming off of it until they're say 35 and ready to have a first baby. So they've been on it for 20 years and it's just been suppressing their normal hormones the whole time. So whatever they went on it for, is still there when they come off of it. And so now they're right back into their symptoms. So I'm just such a huge proponent. If you need 
to be on it for contraception, know your risks, you know, consider alternatives like natural family planning and condoms or diaphragm or even an IUD, in my opinion, is generally less impactful on our health. The hormonal IUD does have some hormones in it. There's a copper kind that doesn't, but even still the hormones in that are so much less than any of the other methods. And then if you have a gynecologic or hormone imbalance, try some other things first. You know, try stress reduction, try changing your diet, try addressing your microbiome. I mean, that's why I wrote Hormone Intelligence. I wanted women to have the information that they could trust that fills the gap of what, and I'm saying this as a Yale-trained MD, we never hear about in medical school, but is just as valid and usually safer. And that's the thing. It's like if you can do something that's mild and safe and get lifelong benefits rather than do something that is just suppressive and, and has risks, why not try the other thing first? God, yeah. And your your platform everything you say your book was amazing like everything you do is really just talking about the realities and it's like look to me knowledge is power knowing more can only help me then dictate how i'm going to live my life and if i decide cool i know all these side effects are very possible but i still decide to take it amazing at least you're doing it with your eyes open and that's the biggest thing is that i didn't i didn't know when i went on the pill at the age of 16 a hundred percent it was like oh you know this is the magic pill it will solve everything Thing. and then before i knew it it was like all these other health conditions were coming and not one doctor told me oh hang on are you are you on the pill it wasn't until i had a microbiome assessment analysis that the doctor came back and was like there's a re- you eat a lot of soy and i was like i don't eat any soy and they're like there's a really high level of estrogen in your gut and then she was like are you on the pill i was like yes she's like stop that immediately and i had no idea so if I had an idea, at least again, going back to like almost then like allow me to make the decision of what I'm doing to my body. And if I decide it's worth it, then I have the power to do so. But I never want to find myself in a situation. And you know that you need to like check in once in a while, not just go on the pill and say, all right, well now I'm on this for 15 years, Mm. but like every year, every couple of years, check in. Do I still need this? Has that problem been addressed? And I'm now just taking something I don't need anymore. Unless, of course, it's for birth control. But it's real. Like There was a study done in um, Denmark a few years back. Just the, um, the, like the rates of depression in teenage girls and young women who started the pill had never had depression before. And depression severe enough for them to go and get treated with an antidepressant. But nobody ever said, oh, is it the pill? Like Maybe we need to think about another option or even just another dose or another form for you. And not just, you know, treat you like you're somebody with a mental health problem when, look, you know, if you have a mental health problem, all respect, you know, we need to really be open and talking about it, but we're creating mental health problems. And then somebody believes that they have a mental health problem that they don't even have at all. And that can affect their self-esteem too, right? To struggle with depression and anxiety, it can affect their life when it's a pharmaceutical that they were put on that's causing it. That to me is just, it, it really blows my mind. God, yeah. And now it really has come full circle in this discussion because where we started is why are girls having periods so young? And that goes to my point of if girls are now having, if we are now starting to have our periods way younger and we're starting to have the problems and issues and we go on contraception younger, right? Because the big yeah. thing is, oh, the pill will help regulate you. So now you've well, got someone young... Just told me, yeah, yeah. Someone just told me in the social post the other day 
that um, their daughter was recommended to go on the pill at 11 for her hormones. Okay, even that is exactly the point. So now think the girl's going on the. I didn't even get my period at 11. I got my period at like 15. No, but so yeah. now you've got girls that are getting their period early. Doctors have recommended that they go on contraception to help regulate. It's the pain. And now you get girls at 12, 13 that are suffering from depression. And we have no clue why. Like this is like really got me lit on fire, girl. Because yep. that's the point of that. We're starting earlier. We're doing this to our body earlier. And now we're finding our problems happening even earlier. And we're pretty much living longer. So now it's like your problems are starting earlier. And if we don't fix them or we don't alter our behavior, then we have a longer time to be really struggling with these problems. And also a longer time of being exposed to estrogen. And so Mm. we know that the longer you're exposed to estrogen, the more your risk of, of cancers goes up. And, you know, when we go back to that idea that our cycle is a vital sign, like imagine if you took a medication that made your temperature stay the same all the time. So you never knew when you had a fever. You could never tell if you had an infection. And essentially, that's what we're doing. We're we're saying, okay, you're 11, you're 12, you're 13, you're 14. We're going to put you on this medication that is going to blunt all your normal signals. So now you can't read that vital sign anymore. And that is really frightening to me. And also it just, it takes away an opportunity for us to use our cycles the way we talked about in all those beautiful, powerful ways. It just takes an, it takes away an opportunity for us to be who we are with that fluid changes across our cycles. I, I feel sad for that. Again, no judgment for me. It's all about what works for you. And if you know, whatever you need, as long as you know what you're getting into. Oh, Aviva, you've blown my mind so many times in this one discussion, woman. Um, And you really have really giving such tactical advice on how we can really use it in our own lives to show up. So where can people find your book? Where can people follow you and all the amazing stuff that you're doing? Thank you, Lisa. So you can find my book anywhere books are sold. But when you buy my book, go to avivaram.com forward slash book, because there are some amazing gifts and bonuses and giveaways and you can follow me over on my website if you get to that page you're at my website or come hang out with me over at instagram dr.avivaram so it's dr period avivaram and i'm always posting wonderful new things there pretty much every day so lots and lots of free resources even if you don't buy my book but if you would consider buying the book um, i would be so grateful because i'm just so determined to change women's conversation with our own bodies and our hormones and our lives for our just absolute best empowerment. Amazing. Guys, guys, seriously go check it out. I have read it. She's chock full of tactics and tips and the food you can eat and how you go to sleep and how you work out and all these amazing tips in order for you to really freaking show up and be the hero of your own life. So go check out the book, guys. Go follow her. If you're not subscribed, um, subscribe. Click that little subscribe button down there. And if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And like I said, until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out, guys.